Fishman. Good morning or good evening. Where are you in the world at the minute? Yeah, good morning. Now it is morning here. Um, so I'm currently in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Um, and just looking out the window, it looks to be a nice day. It's not raining. Um, they do actually call it Raincouver here because it does rain a lot, especially throughout like the autumn and winter. So, um, so yeah, that's where I am at the moment. Very good, very good. And how are things in Vancouver? Is, is it as, as strange as the rest of the world or are things fairly normal? Um, I, I have had this conversation a lot with um, people because I have friends so many different places of the world and it is like really strange kind of like comparing and I honestly do think that I am in a bit of a bubble here right. um, even within Canada um, it's the situation in Vancouver or like BC I think is very different compared to like places like Toronto and Montreal mm -hmm. um, and I mean it's obviously strange I mean everyone wears masks everywhere now it's just become yeah. um, like a regular site that like, and it's one of those things where you're like leaving the house do I have my insulin do I have my keys do I have my phone do I have my mask <laughs> do I have my mask yeah <laughs> yeah and so it's just become one of those things that you kind of like are thinking about now um but I would say on the whole, I mean, restaurants, bars, cafes, like everything's open. Um, the only difference is that places have to stop serving alcohol at 10. So I think okay. that um, they're trying to like cut down the, the amount of people out and about and just drinking late. Yeah. Um, and then I think this week as well, there has been a, a spike um, since Thanksgiving weekend, which was about like three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, and they've decided to, well, it was always kind of like six people, I think, in, in a household, if you were having like people around. Yeah. But I think they're really like, coming down on that now and have um, have put some more stricter rules in place. But to be honest, in Vancouver, we're very lucky. There's a lot of places you can go and things you can do um, kind of like outside. So you're not necessarily sitting indoors or in someone's house all the time. Yeah, yeah. I obviously um, follow you and aware of your Instagram and it is certainly a very beautiful place and looks oh, like an amazing yeah. part of the world to be in. And it's quite an interesting one because um, Obviously, we, we both follow different sort of diabetic people from across the world and just looking at um, the differences in places. So how it is, with yeah. you, as you were mentioning, in Vancouver and then um, in the UK where I am at the moment and I'm looking across the US, there's such a different approach to sort of yeah. handling it. And I guess um, mm -hmm. it sounds like you have some sort of normality, which is quite nice. Yeah, definitely. Um, I do feel like, like I said, like really lucky to be in this kind of like little bubble here. Um, and I mean, who knows like how long it will last really, but I do yeah. do really um, kind of appreciate the fact that I am able to get out and do stuff and have had somewhat of a normal summer, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and yeah i mean i think obviously over the winter I, I imagine like things will get worse before they get better um but i guess we've kind of been through it once now and so we kind of know what to to expect like for any yeah. any second like lockdowns and things like that but yeah it is just crazy to see especially online just how how different it is for different people in different countries and even within countries as well yeah no definitely definitely i think um well, I was going to say it sounds like it's a lot better in Canada than it is in the UK, but I think compared to, I think most places compared to the UK are a lot better. So yeah, um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But um, so going backwards a little bit, um, mm -hmm. 
I think we were we were both diagnosed about 15 years ago. I think you were a little bit older than me. Um, yeah. And am I Sometimes. right in thinking you were diagnosed about 15, 16 years old? Yes. So um, I first started getting symptoms, I would say, when I was 14. Um, yeah. And that was like the, the classic, you know, like weight loss and um, being really thirsty. And I guess it's that kind of awkward age where um, I, I was... I guess I had a little bit of puppy fat as my parents <laughs> affectionately call it and um, and then it was just that time where they kind of just put it down to growing up and your body's like changing and I just became like very um, slim but I was always a tall child so yeah. I guess to the outside world it just kind of looked like my body was changing and I was kind of like things were moving and um, it wasn't I don't think it too drastic until a few months in um so i think probably about four or five months of this like weight loss and thirstiness and like the classic symptoms and at that point i turned 15 um and yeah i was diagnosed in may 2005 um and i remember it very well i actually read your blog um, a couple of days ago and i, I remember thinking um <laughs> Like it's even though like we were different ages, it's like a very similar story of kind of like spending that week in the hospital really? and yeah. my mum was like by my side like the whole time like slept in the little bed next to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just honestly that time I just remember it like it was yesterday. I think it'll probably always be like that. Yeah, because I think I think we're from so I'm in the northeast at the minute. I think you're originally from quite nearby, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm born and raised in Durham, okay. uh, which is um, like say, like 20 minutes south of Newcastle. Yeah. Um, and so like, yeah, I was in Durham Hospital and um, the children's ward there. And um, yeah, what so what time of year were you diagnosed? I wonder if it was like similar. Um, yeah, I was so I was, uh, so I remember it well because I, so I was November um, because mm. I, it's a really weird one. So obviously I was a lot younger. I was only eight. Um, so I remember going on holiday that year. Um, and uh -huh. I sort of remember that being the last time that I almost didn't have to think about it without knowing yeah. it, you know what I mean? Which is very strange. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I really distinctly sort of remember that summer, I guess, for that reason. Um, but everything mm -hmm. sort of changed after that. But no, I was yeah. in November. Um, and in many ways, I guess, you know, I've spoken to a few people about it, um, that I think getting diagnosed perhaps when I was eight was probably a lot easier for me than say for yourself at 15, 16, where yeah. you almost had a lot more, you, you've kind of experienced a lot of different things. And I guess also in terms of school, that's a huge um, sort yeah. of to be hit with this thing. Because I know for me, it was, okay, I'm eight. I really haven't done a great deal. Um, <laughs> you sort of spend, the years where you're kind of doing those major things um, with diabetes so for me I kind of didn't know any different whereas I guess for you um, it was probably a very different experience yeah it, it was a, a bit of a tough age I guess because um, yeah my like my classmates were not 
very sympathetic um, right. to my situation um, and I got a lot of stupid questions as well yeah. and just a lot of I guess just a lot of ignorance but I mean to be fair what 15 year olds do know about diabetes um, yeah. but yeah. I just think that yeah like no one really understood what was going on everyone knew that like something had happened to me um, and then once I'd gone back to school I guess like the teachers started to treat me a bit differently and I got like extra privileges like, I used to go to go to lunch before everyone else um so there were some perks to it yeah um yeah. and I do very distinctly remember like if I ever turned up late to school um I just like oh I had a hypo on the way <laughs> classic um, I'm gonna try yeah I'm gonna try and use it to my advantage exactly um but it was I remember it was um so I think I must have been year 10 so I had started to do like some GCSE work and some um like like I guess like harder studies and stuff mm -hmm. and um it did have a bit of an impact but I think the, the other good thing um came from it is we I remember very distinctly in one of my biology um lessons and they talked about diabetes and it was part of the exam and yeah. so I got a for my biology <laughs> exam which I definitely wouldn't have got pre-diabetes um yeah. so I think you know my mindset towards um like the body like changed but um yeah it is a weird thing and I I guess there's no perfect age to be diagnosed no. really because I think um you know, even when I when I talk to like adults who are like way in their like twenties and thirties and forties when they're diagnosed with type one, and you're like, God, you really have had like a a good like adult life without it. I guess like we 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 were children, so yeah. I never yeah, yeah. knew adult life without it. Um, but I do think that you know, obviously, when you're diagnosed, it's like a there's a switch that goes off and I think at that moment for me at least like you really do just have to grow up and um childhood as you knew it is kind of like over really yeah yeah no I I, I get exactly what you mean I mean it's, it's funny you mentioned about the biology I, I remember very clearly um so I think I must have been GCSE so I was probably 16 so I'd had it for sort of eight years at this point mm -hmm. and I remember sitting very confidently thinking <laughs> I didn't need to revise for um, that was based on diabetes and failing it so oh um, <laughs> it's just a testimony to diabetes really <laughs> yes. I thought just by having it I passed but it turns out yeah no the curveballs keep on coming <laughs> yeah it really wasn't ideal but it's um no it is and it's it's obviously you know for both of us now looking back it's sort of 15 years with the condition um I think for me I'll be interested to hear what you think but I think for me it really does feel like for the last maybe um from the point I was diagnosed then from sort of 12 years on from that point I really felt certainly in terms of my treatment that not a lot changed um I stayed on very similar insulin yeah. I was finger pricking every day mm -hmm. I'd made a conscious decision uh, not to go on a pump um so yeah. I was um, injecting you know my prescription was very much the same for those 12 mm -hmm. years and um I guess because I was sort of focused on school and on swimming and on competing and stuff my I was kind of just not really thinking too much about diabetes and then mm -hmm. it was only when all of that stopped that I started thinking how you know how is nothing improving here and it was only for me yeah. when uh Freestyle Libra come out and then um more recently I started using the Meow Meow which is obviously sort of turns your Libra into a sort of conti more continuous glucose monitor mm -hmm. um 
And I think now it seems to be snowballing, or certainly that's the impression I get, that there seems to be sort of breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And I know Freestyle Libra for me has just been absolutely life-changing. But in terms yeah. of how things for you have been over the last 15 years, I'd obviously be interested to hear your sort of version of events, I guess. Yeah, I, I to be honest, I would completely agree. I would say um, in terms of treatment, like nothing's really changed at all in the last yeah. 15 years. I mean, yeah, we're still here injecting or, you know, people are using pumps. I did have a pump, I think I was about 20, 21, 22, maybe, maybe a bit younger. Um, and I was just like really, really fed up of diabetes. I was definitely totally burnt out. Um, and I just thought that the pump was gonna be my like savior. And obviously it, it wasn't because it doesn't it doesn't really stop the thought that like the thought process and all the extra decisions that go into having diabetes. And so kind of I felt a bit let down by it. And then I went back to injections, I think after a couple of years. I did give it a, a bit of a go mm -hmm. um, and then went back to my injections. And yeah, I would say in terms of like like treatment, I mean the I guess there's FIASP, which um I don't know if you've used that before, but I've been using that for I would probably about like maybe two three years yeah now, no I've, I've not used FIAS but I know a lot of people who have um but I haven't yeah. used it myself yeah I I do I mean it's not again it's not a cure it's not perfect um definitely like problems with it but for me after like 10 years of using Nova Rapid yeah it was slow so incredibly slow and I get a lot of resistance um in the morning and I would find myself like having to inject like 45 minutes before mm -hmm. I even had like a, a whiff of something to eat like yeah. couldn't even look at food um <laughs> I just thought like this is not like it's just taken too long to work um so I switched to Fiasp and it definitely is like very fast um and has helped improve like my control and and the spikes and things and then i'm also on traceba for my long acting right okay because um, i have like mixed with a few different long acting like insulins over the years and done the like you know where you split the dosage and you yeah. take one in the morning one in the night time um but i love traceba um and that's like always been really consistent for me and you don't have to take it at like exactly the same time every single day so it's yeah. like very flexible especially if you've got a bit of a, an active or like travel -y lifestyle mm -hmm. um so but in terms of like treatment like it very much has stayed the same and i would say agree with you and the, the only thing that has really made an impact at all is the the monitoring of like blood sugars um, and the like the information that I'm taking on board to make these little decisions. Um, and yeah. yeah, the Libra has just been a complete game changer. Um, I still think about like how I would be if I like completely went like cold turkey and yeah. went back to like finger pricking because I feel it's one of those things like once you start it's like how, how do you really go back to like not knowing what your blood sugar is at all times yeah, yeah. um and, I and think sorry carry on yeah no I was I, like I do try every so often to um take like a little break um so I don't get like too caught up in the numbers but then ultimately like I will go back to it because just having that information is so important yeah and I, th I think I think for me that the main thing that Libra did was almost just fill in the gaps and I think mm. um, you know especially when I was at school I would be you know I could wake up on five and then maybe when I checked my blood again when there was a break at maybe half eleven four hours later 
I would be five again, but it was that not knowing whether I'd gone five yeah. up to 12, down to five, or whether I'd stayed yeah. at that line. And I think yeah. I, I had never once thought about that until I had Libra. So it's almost sort of asking myself questions. And um, I do think um, now I have the meow meow, which is sort of um, a more constant. And, and obviously I'm getting reminders to my phone every five minutes. I think um, it's obviously a whole nother topic, but in terms of kind of diabetes burnout, where it's just all a bit too, yeah. um, it's definitely, I've met over the last 15 years, I've not really experienced that. Whereas for the last yeah. three or four months when I've been using meow meow, obviously, um that's the first time i've really thought about it and i think that's the kind of downside of the advancements is that you are getting all of that information but at times you sometimes just don't want it <laughs> yeah no i also and i again i could talk about like that for hours really mm. just the whole the blessing and the curse of having access to this technology and, and the extra numbers and information because yeah, I've definitely had, I would say as well, like more burnout in the last few years than I have mm -hmm. previously. And I think it's just because number one, I care more as well. Um, yeah, like yeah. I think probably for me, like a turning point was when I was like 25, 26. And I really, really just like took a good hard look at myself and was like, I need to do better. Like I, I know that I could do better. And I have, I did really like kind of turn things around, but with that, um, I also worry a lot more and I, and I'm like constantly thinking about everything and, and like, you know, what's it doing? Why is it doing that? And the thing is with diabetes, a lot of time you just don't get any answers. So yeah, yeah. sometimes like a little ignorance is bliss. I agree, I agree. And I think sometimes, you know, we're both very aware that you could wake up on the exact same number, have the exact same breakfast, have the exact same amount of insulin, mm -hmm. and an hour later you're going to be two completely different yeah. numbers. So it's very much um, a case of just taking it day by day. And I do think, um, so for me, I think when you were saying, you know, you, you sat down and you sort of thought, I need to really improve and I need to take a look at myself and improve my control, I think for me that. Um, that moment only came really at the start of this year when I sort of jumped on the bandwagon and, and started my Instagram page and obviously started, mm -hmm. you know, being more aware and having a following that was almost exclusively diabetic people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, and obviously that's how I'm aware of yourself. And you're, I'm not sure if you know this actually, but you're one of the only accounts that I was following on my personal one. So before oh. I made my <laughs> diabetic persona. Uh -huh. <laughs> I I was following your account and I think obviously we've probably got mutual friends from where we're from but um, I was sort of very impressed with how open you were and I think for me personally again it's a whole other story but I'd always been very I hadn't sort of publicly outed and I've mentioned this on my blog and stuff like that but I sort of hadn't publicly outed and, and said you know I'm, I'm diabetic and yeah and and put it out there uh, as often especially on social media so i thought when i mm -hmm. started your instagram um so i guess for you you know how how did that journey start how did um, i guess obviously your page is t type one travels um mm -hmm. which in itself is is, is is quite a cool story um so yeah. what about that how long has it been going and i guess also for you um that sort of information overload where you you naturally start comparing yourself to all the other people on your own yeah that being a mm -hmm. that you've kind of stumbled across yeah so um it's a, a bit of an interesting one because um i 
I wasn't really aware that there were like kind of like diabetic Instagrams, we'll call them, yeah. um, for quite some time. Um, like I had my own like, you know, obviously personal Instagram way before I had the diabetic one. Uh-huh. And it was just something I'd never even looked up. Um, I never even thought that like that there would be this like very niche like little online community and I honestly can't even remember how how I even first like stumbled across it mm-hmm. um, but I do remember like looking at um, you know like pages of, of the I feel like the OGs of um, <laughs> like Instagram and I did think like oh there is like a bit of a, a gap here where like I, I think that I could contribute something in terms of yeah. like travel specifically. Yeah. Um, and so I first thought about starting the page. Um, I think I made the page, it was about like December-ish um, 2017. And at this point in my life, um, I knew that I was moving to Australia the following year. Okay. So I, I really wanted to kind of like document that experience and share like how I was doing it and how diabetes was going to kind of like affect me on that journey. And I thought, well, where, where better to, to do that than to create like a page kind of like dedicated to the two things that are like very integral to me as a person, which is diabetes and travel. Yeah. Um, so that's how it kind of came about. And uh, before that, um, so I did have a diabetes blog um, when I was at university, and that was called um, All Pumped Up. Right. Um, and that was when, <laughs> very cliche, that was when I was first um, going onto the pump. And so I had the blog, I think I even did one YouTube video. And I really liked it. And I, I did like um, what I thought was quite funny blog posts, but um, also like very open and honest yeah. and sharing my journey. And the only reason I stopped is because um, I guess life really, mm-hmm. um, which is classic. Um, what happens like it I, once I finished university um, it was just my life suddenly got very busy I moved to London and then started working professionally and I just didn't have the time um, to like dedicate like these blog posts and it kind of just like, it kind of like fell off um, and off of the bandwagon really and then once I picked up this Instagram page all those emotions that I'd had when I had the blog and how great it was kind of pouring my heart out into these captions all kind of came flooding back and I was like oh, I really do enjoy um just sharing like these thoughts and that I wouldn't share with people who weren't diabetic because I do really think as much as people around you can try to understand unless you have it you cannot relate yeah. Um, and it's it's just one of those things where that's why I love talking and meeting and hanging out with other diabetics because it's just it's just like an unspoken bond um, and you just you just get it. I don't even have to go into it. You just get it, and that's so nice about the community is you just don't even have to justify or explain like any thoughts that you've had. Um, you could write anything on there and guarantee like someone will, who's reading that will have had the exact same thought pattern at some stage. Yeah, yeah. No, I think, and I think for me, obviously, um, you've, you've had your account for considerably longer. And I think when I, when you know, when I sort of joined, jumped on the bandwagon and started sharing um, my posts and stuff like that, it was almost very comforting because 
um, you were suddenly in this online community, you know, this global community of people who, as you say, completely understood everything you were saying. And also, yeah. you know, um, uh, I listened to different people's pod- podcasts, like Owen Costello, his, his podcast. And, um, and I'm sat there thinking, this guy has just put into words exactly what I'm thinking and I couldn't yeah. really put it into words um, yeah. and it's things like that and you and things and you, you're constantly learning and, and um, I think at the minute there's this real sort of buzz around sort of low carb lifestyles and things like that and yeah. how that's influencing mm-hmm. control and that's something I would not have been aware of because you know I, I mentioned it before I very much did sort of bury my head in the ground and think mm-hmm. I'm doing it my way and my way is fine and and you do and it's only when you start opening up and as you say chatting to people and learning and sort of yeah how they're approaching things that you do start to learn more about the yeah. and then understand it's a little bit more complex than maybe you first thought yeah and as well like it's just so nice to see this community kind of like thriving um and like it really is just like a very welcoming and open space um and i had like no idea when i like first even like kind of like tapped into it what eventually would come out of it um and on what it could lead to especially like connections with people in real life um which i had a lot of um when i was in australia so i guess but between the time of like starting the page and then actually moving to australia um and when i sort of like announced that to people and then like i started getting people's names of diabetics who were in australia and it was just a bit of a snowball effect and i think in total um from the instagram page i've met in person about 80 people wow wow which is is just insane mind-blowing yeah yeah and and some of them i have to say as well um like you 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 meet and you chat and you have this really nice um experience but i would say like a really good chunk of people that i met are actually like what i would consider to be really good friends now um and our friendship kind of even goes like beyond diabetes um like a a few people i don't like we barely even talk about diabetes anymore because we're just so ingrained in each other's lives and that is just such a lovely thing and it was just actually for me when i started the page um and probably you as well but just like a, a great way to use social social media for something good yeah um i don't want to like endlessly scroll through like these instagram models or you know tr- have like products like trying to be sold to me i just want to relate to like people who who get me who understand me and content that is going to help me in some way yeah no absolutely no absolutely i think and i think you do very much feel part of that community that you can relate to things that maybe other people can't um and i think sometimes that's quite a nice feeling and i know obviously i mentioned before we're, we're both from sort of the northeast of england and i know since jump you know since moving onto the instagram page and um interacting with people and chatting to people there's a lot of people from the northeast that i yeah. i never would have known or never would have interacted with or never would have even realized that there was people you know very very close to me who yeah. also have diabetes and are doing such amazing things so i think in mm-hmm. terms of that it's a real eye opener um yeah so obviously your page predominantly um is is sort of travel based i guess mm-hmm. as well as diabetes um, yeah. and is certainly the page that probably makes me most jealous um, <laughs> <laughs> um but it does it it, it 
it certainly looks like you have a very cool lifestyle from the outside looking in. I'm sure there's more to it. Yeah. Um, but how how does that work at the minute? So is it just very much country to country to country? Is there sort of plan that you've got in your head? Um, you obviously you're in Vancouver at the minute. Is that a long term place or? Yeah, um, well, I, yeah, I'm very aware, I guess, on, on Instagram, it kind of looks like I'm, I'm like this, maybe a jet setter, or I yeah. have, like, bags of money, and I'm just, like, constantly going from, like, place to place, but I assure you, it's, um, it's a lot more normal, I just, I mean, my background, I guess, um, once I finished university, and I worked professionally for a few years, and I was about, like, 26, 27, and I, I had a house in Durham, um, and I felt very much um, trapped and stuck in a rut. And I just had always had this like burning desire to live abroad. Um, ever since I was a kid, really, I always kind of knew that England or the UK at least was never where I was going to end up permanently. Yeah. Um, I just had I just had this this desire to to move around and. Um, I felt like when I started working and I had a house and a mortgage that my window of opportunity was just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, so I took the plunge um, in 2018 and I sold my house and that's when I did my year abroad in Australia. Okay. And um, so it kind of all started out um, and really just to do that and to travel a bit and then at the end of it just kind of just see how I felt I didn't know if I was going to then return back to you know like in quotes normal life um in Durham <laughs> or if I was going to keep this going I had I had no idea um and so when I got back from Australia I had the inevitable um like, oh what do I do with my life now like this this past year has been so great um I kind of like almost don't want to go back um and moved to Spain for a brief um three months um and then my Canadian visa had always been in the pipeline I kind of had applied for that when I got back from um Australia and um when I came here in January um, that was a visa for two years so it gives me like the permit to work and live here and um, I just love it I really do love um, Vancouver and definitely see myself staying put here for a while so I'm going to try and go for permanent residency next year but ultimately I still want to when I can I mean keep traveling uh, and visiting new places and going to new countries but I really would like uh, Vancouver to be my base um, at least for like you know a few a few years like who knows really um, but I I'm so happy with how everything turned out but there was a lot of risk involved um, and when I first started especially when I went to Australia I just had no idea how it's going to end up um, I thought there was a really good possibility that I might end up at my original job um, back in Durham and as if nothing had ever happened you know yeah 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 um, no exactly and, and it sounds like there was you know sort of with the house in Durham and then you know it's a big jump to sort of saying right yeah. I'm going to completely change my lifestyle but certainly by what you're saying and it sounds like it's it's paid off and hopefully the next few years with Vancouver as a base kind of opens up yeah. um, potentially anyway fingers crossed the world comes. yeah um, <laughs> it's not a bad place to be for now <laughs> no exactly and so in terms of sort of traveling and and, and I guess not even traveling but living abroad um mm -hmm. has how's 
how has that sort of affected your diabetes management? Obviously, um, I guess for people that don't know, we sort of regularly have HbA1c checkups um, mm-hmm. just to sort of assess your overall control. So has that been tricky sort of scheduling those? Have you been able to, I guess, slip into the healthcare system of the country that you've been in? Or has it very much been a case of sort of trying to keep the UK, I guess? Yeah, so I guess in in the run up to um, when I went to Australia, um, I had what I like to refer as like a full like MOT. Yeah. Um, so like you only get like literally every single appointment under the sun uh, done like right before I went away. So um, I what I have been doing over the last say like two and a bit years of this kind of lifestyle is when I have known that I was going to return home is just literally like scheduling everything I could for for that portion of time. Yes. So just keeping on top of my blood test, you know, things like your eye checks, your foot checks, um, things like that. Trying trying to make sure that they kind of fall in line with um, times that I've I've been back, which isn't always possible. Um, but in Australia, at least, um, because of the Commonwealth Agreement, um, it was very it was very easy to kind of like fall into the health system there, and I could go to the doctors um, without any appoint like any to pay anything. Um, yeah. I could get my like bloods taken, and I guess I kind of just like monitored myself really, um, which I I do find an interesting thing. Like the last say like two and a half years, I haven't really had like a endocrinologist or I haven't really seen anyone regularly like I was before um but I almost feel like I don't I don't need it like I mean I don't know how you feel but nothing ever really changes and I I used to go to those appointments anyway and I kind of come out of it thinking well I'm not really sure what I got out of that um I just gave you my numbers and you said cool see in six months and and that was and I feel like honestly in terms of um like monitoring from a hospital point of view I never for me at least I never really got much out of it so for right now I'm just kind of like looking after myself I feel like I kind of at this point 15 years in I know what I'm doing I know what to look out for um I can go and get my bloods done here as well in Canada um I have um access to like healthcare here um the the big difference is um medication I think that it's like it's absolutely fine to to get checked up you can go and make sure that everything's working fine and all your bloods are okay but the real the real difference is is medication yeah and and um I guess I I know for me you know so I moved uh, I moved over to Spain for three months and then I came back for a while and then I moved over for six months I moved back for a while and then I was over for a year and I know for me it was very much the same that when you've had the condition for such a a long period of time you know when your control is going well you know when it isn't and I think you also know how to sort of right I need to try changing this or I need to try changing this and I also think that's a huge advantage of the community and especially the social Mm -hmm. media community is that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if someone did message me and said look do you have any ideas and also I would feel I wouldn't feel silly at all messaging numerous yeah. people and saying I'm in this situation this is what I'm having do you have any ideas and I think that's another advantage to that community but I, I entirely understand what you mean I think I did the same in that you have one big checkup you chat with the you know the team there um when you have your MOT and then and then you you set off and I think um it is 
I agree that on occasion you do tend to sit there and I think your HbA1c is almost for me certainly um, the you know the reason I go and, and you almost mm-hmm. and I think that's a, that might that's probably not ideal I think that, that you, you should be going and getting more out of it but I almost yeah. in a way and it, that one number defines quite mm-hmm. often how that meeting's gone so I think yeah um, I understand what you're saying in the sense that it's it's you know you can stay on top of it fairly easily but um, yeah I know for me in terms of medication when I've been over in Spain um, I know in the UK the system is very much um, if you're heading abroad you can get up to three months so that was the sort of mm-hmm. quota that um, I was allowed and I went over and then um, you often have little bits saved over from the months that maybe you haven't quite used yeah. a lot and I think mm-hmm. um, we are very fortunate in you know in the UK that our prescriptions are free mostly mm-hmm. um, and we have access to insulin I guess um, being over in Canada I'm not sure what the system is in Canada but I know in the states right next door to where you are it's yeah it's certainly um, on social media it's very clear just how quite how expensive it is and quite yeah. how expensive it is just to have diabetes over there and I guess yeah has, has it been the same sort of a similar situation has there been an occasion where you've had to buy insulin in in Canada yet yeah so um, it is coming up unfortunately um so I did the same as you I mean I, I came over with um what the NHS allows you to and then I had like little bits and bobs from from Mm -hmm. previous prescriptions and then also I add like for me at least I'm on a very I would say quite like a small insulin dosage like for example my long acting I take 10 units um so even just one pen is going to last me like quite like quite a while really um so in terms of um, insulin, um, I have like a very special little box in my fridge, which I would class as my most valued possession here, <laughs> um, especially when you think about how much that little box is worth um, yeah. in terms of US dollars. It's insane. Sure. Um, so I, I have um, insulin that I brought over from the UK still there. And I, I have um, one friend who I met here um, actually through Instagram she gifted me um a box of traceba pens that she was no longer using because she transferred to a pump so i mean just there is like 150 dollars worth of insulin um which is just nuts isn't it and the fact that like she was just so kind enough to like say like oh i'm not using this so like here you go um and my i think i'm on the last couple of vials um of my fiasp and so i have been to the pharmacy and i have kind of asked them like I tried to prepare myself mentally for how much it was going to cost um and it it actually wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be so for a box of like five vials of Fias I think it was going to be about $80 which is still I mean yeah (laughs) the UK like we, we don't pay a single penny out of pocket um but it's like I think when I look at prices in the US um like I can afford to, to buy that. Um, it's obviously just not ideal. So that's it, but it's all the other things as well. So uh, the first thing that I ran out of here was needles. And I, I don't know about you, but I feel like I eat needles in my sleep. I don't know where they go. I don't know how, like where, what happens to all of them. Yeah. Um, but so, somehow I just go through them like there's no tomorrow. And I'm, I've never been the diet kind of diabetic who reuses um, right, okay. needles and I, 
I do know just through like traveling and speaking to different people in the community that um, that is one of the ways that people um, have saved money while traveling with diabetes is reusing needles. But for me personally, I would never um, encourage that. And I, I've never been one to do that either. Um, I'm very much like a one-time use um, unless I've like, left the house without one and you're like oh i guess i'll have to reuse this one or, or go without um and so yeah boxes of needles are my most expensive um concern right now and, and it's about 45 dollars for a box of 100 um wow. which does not last me very long at all um so yeah it has been a bit of a, a bit of a shock um just coming here and and paying uh, or preparing to pay these prices um and it does from what I understand, um, vary like within the provinces of like how much is covered um, in terms of like healthcare. But for me, um, being in British Columbia, I do get like free appointments. I can go to the doctor, I can get my bloods done for free. Like that doesn't cost me anything. Um, and I think what people tend to do here is um, you get private health insurance through your work, and essentially your work may have like a scheme or where you're allowed like say like for example like three thousand dollars per year on um medication and you would use up your diabetes meds from that like pool of money right okay um so i think that's how people are getting by here and and from like the research i've done that's how people are surviving with mm. type one and it, when when you kind of like are faced with these prices but um i feel very much um like a bit of an alien who's come to this like foreign land and i don't know anything about how things work here so um whenever i go to the pharmacy or the doctor i kind of explain to them like can you just talk to me like i'm a child and i don't have any background context of how things work and they've always been very lovely and, and sit me down and explain and again that's where the diabetes community comes in and i've managed to like find Canadians on there who I can ask questions to um but I mean it just makes me so incredibly sad to think of like this insulin crisis that we're having and the prices that people are paying elsewhere like I think in the US it's like three times as much as like what it is here yeah. um it's it's just very sad to see but like this is the first time that I've had to kind of really factor um the cost of medication like into my budget like mm. i've never had to do that before even when i was in australia um the insulin that i took over actually lasted me pretty much the entire year um just because my dosage was so so, so small yeah. um and i think i had i think i pay out of pocket once and it was like 25 dollars for like 25 pen it, it just wasn't very much at all um in comparison to how it is here um so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting actually um because i, I mean originally my plans pre-covid um i was probably gonna go home um maybe over the the christmas holidays and um get some get some more insulin yeah um and that's no longer going to be the case so um i i will keep you posted on how things go <laughs> how, yeah. um, it, maybe i will become uh, one of the ones to reuse needles but um yeah yeah no i i it's, it's weird you mentioned the needles so it's it, i was exactly the same in spain and obviously um 
the needles are the only thing I think the only thing I've had to buy over there um, yeah. and even that I was surprised it was sort of 20 euros which obviously really isn't a lot of money when no. you know, we're both very aware how much people are spending in, in the States especially but mm-hmm. um, yeah it's, it's a real it's a real shock and I think we are very much in this bubble in the UK where I don't know about you but I you know once a month I toddle down to Boots I pick up my I pick up my prescription and, and yeah. I go home and um you know that's just it, that, that's it that it does there's yeah, no payment yeah. There's, yeah I'd sign my name and 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 that's what and if anything needs added to my prescription then it yeah. gets added um mm-hmm. and I think being over there you sort of <laughs> so I I when I was first diagnosed I was very much against reusing needles and I went through a period from <laughs> quite a few years where I was like oh and I was maybe using them two or three times and then recently I guess we're talking maybe last two or three years um I got sort of more on top of my control and um really started to notice quite how poorly you the, the yeah. accuracy of your dosages are when you start to reuse yeah. so, I guess this is a warning to anyone listening well, that yeah. it's a terrible idea. <laughs> it's, it's not the best. Um, I remember, I think when I was diagnosed, actually, when I was like 15, I remember looking at a poster in one of my appointments and it was a very, like a very um, close-up image. Oh, I think of, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, of, of what a needle looks like yeah. when you've used it once. And it was just like, why would you stick that in you? <laughs> like it yeah. looks brutal. Um, like it's very blunt after you've used it once. Um, so I think that actually just like scared me. That poster did it did, did its job. <laughs> yeah, um, no, it definitely, definitely. I think I, I think to be honest, I probably saw the same one and thought, right, that's enough. Um, so, yeah whoever's made that post has done a cracking job yeah. um and obviously you mentioned that um you you know the plan was initially to come back at christmas um mm-hmm. in terms of i guess traveling within this whole pandemic um covid19 um i pres- you were you in vancouver just before it started or I was so I, I um I came at the end of January okay. um, and I've I sometimes like try and piece together you know like a bit of a timeline of when this was even on my radar um and I do remember being in because I was in an Airbnb for my first month here and I do remember like having phone calls with my mum um and being like oh there's this like thing that's going around and like it seems to be <laughs> spreading to like other countries and it, at that point i think it was you know when um it kind of went nuts on the cruise ships that was like yeah. when people first started to like be like oh this, this doesn't seem good like these cruise ships are like quarantined off off the coast and like japan and places and you're like hmm, something's going on here but um i had about six seven weeks before um things like really took a turn and um i don't know what it was like actually back home but here um i remember very distinctly the day that things suddenly became very serious Mm. it was like the middle of march and it's when the borders closed down here and it was like oh Um, because no one thought that was going to happen um I remember like talking to people who I was working with at the time and they kind of laughed at me and they're like there's no way that the borders will close down like the economy will collapse like there's just no no chance and then the following week the borders closed down um so I remember like when things got very serious um and yeah like it's just mad to think that like I had six weeks and then my whole experience here has been during this 
Mm. Um, but like I say, I do feel um, very lucky to, to have come in when I did and to be in this kind of bubble because I know that things are so different back home. Um, and yeah, I don't even really know how I'll be feeling about things um, if I was in Durham right now with my parents. Um, so it, it is very hard um, being away from them. Um, you know, like my parents are like in their 60s and I do worry a lot about them um, and just like very much, it's kind of a funny role reversal, you know, like when your parents are telling you to like yeah. stay home and, and now I'm suddenly like, <laughs> 30 and I'm like please stay safe please stay home don't go anywhere don't go out mask on um, guys mask on <laughs> yes um my mum and dad have shields which is just adorable um <laughs> and um so yeah I mean they're, they're quite fortunate in a, in a sense that they have um a holiday home in Amble um which uh, you probably might be aware of yeah so yeah so that they kind of go back and forth between their home in durham and and this um caravan and amble so um i'm kind of happy that they're getting out and they have like a change of scenery yeah um, but they were supposed to come here in june um for two like two weeks and so it was very like very sad for all of us um to kind of have to cancel that and and cancel it with no idea when we can reschedule it for i think that's the heart for me at least um like i'm very happy being in vancouver and i would say my biggest um concern or worry right now in terms of covid is just the fact that i have no idea when i'll see my parents again um yeah. no clue and i know that's the, the case for so many people right now um like i'm i have kind of accepted the fact that i will not be leaving canada anytime soon um and because there's so many gorgeous places to go here so many things to visit i'm very at peace with that um but it's just the fact that like no one can come and see me either yeah yeah no it's interesting you said yeah when you mentioned about um you know the day that everything changed in canada it was mm -hmm. a really sort of similar experience for me i was at home uh december january and then i moved back out to Mallorca where i work um mm -hmm. and throughout you know february it was fairly quiet and then yeah. um, i remember I remember sitting in the office and so I know I work at an elite sports center so we have we rely entirely on teams coming to train with us um mm -hmm. so I remember that that first day that we had two Italian teams cancel um, right and it was when obviously things were sort of escalating in Italy mm -hmm. even at that point I think in the UK people were starting to worry but we were mm -hmm. you know Mallorca is a pretty small island everyone's pretty yeah. back and especially the people that I work with are very sort of relaxed so um, even at that point we weren't too concerned um, and then you know it was suddenly the next day okay two teams from France have now cancelled okay all the teams mm -hmm. from Italy have now cancelled okay it's on the news it's on blah 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 and it was sort of just sweeping through and then mainland Spain started to get bad and it was very much um, you know I remember sitting in my flat and then my boss ringing me and saying or my boss saying to me in the office you know that they're, they're going to shut the borders um, so, right yeah um, it was at that point you know flew home and it was only really when i got to the airport that it kind of hit me and everyone mm -hmm. was spaced out two meters everyone was you know in masks mm -hmm. and and um i know for me my mindset definitely changed when i got back to the uk and i do think it was sort of this um you know we were all kind of bombarded with how as a diabetic you're higher risk um which yeah. obviously um 
we are but it's it, mm-hmm. you know it's sort of then that entirely that sort of very quickly changed my outset and I think living at mm-hmm. home as well um as you say it's very different to when you're on your own and maybe you make different choices but um how has it been I guess for you in in, in Canada have you sort of I think certainly my impression is that there's almost two extremes with not many people in the middle ground where people are saying you know I'm going to follow all the rules I'm going to be sensible Mm -hmm. as I'm told Mm -hmm. and then other people who even within the diabetic community say look I get it I get it I'm not going to die yeah Um, Mm -hmm. so what I I mean you may well be right in the middle but I guess (laughs) where, where do you fall on that spectrum almost yeah well I, I, I agree with yourself um especially in the beginning when there was like a lot of and un- just unknown and uncertainty around kind of what covid and diabetes like even meant um like together and ha- just how much more vulnerable were we like no one really knew um and I, I was like in the beginning like very scared um and I live um in by myself here in Vancouver um, and I think I had moved into this place like probably about three weeks before um, like I guess like the world changed so I suddenly felt very isolated um, I, and but at the same time I was like okay well I'm not seeing anyone so I'm just living by myself some mm. of the chances of me coming into contact with anyone are very very slim obviously it's just kind of like grocery store um, and keeping that to like a minimum like once a week buying lots of frozen things so in the beginning I definitely was um, super super cautious um, and very very afraid of, of what this all meant um, and I actually had like a zoom um, kind of like meeting um, with other diabetics here in Canada. So um, when I moved here, it was um, very surprising. I kind of like stumbled across the, the type one um, Vancouver community. Um, just so actually one of the girls off Instagram uh, mentioned it to me and they had um, monthly sessions where they originally used to meet up in person um, and I actually went to two sessions in person before they moved transition to Zoom mm. and um, so once this all kind of like kicked off they they had like a, an emergency type of like Zoom meeting which was all about COVID and diabetes and they had a nurse come on as like a guest speaker and that really for me changed everything because she was so calm so reassuring so logical in what she was saying as well because i think there's definitely like the what like the scaremongering and and going to like worst case scenario uh, with very little kind of like facts and so she was very good at kind of just presenting the facts just reminding everyone on this call that like for the most part we're all very health like healthy adults um, diabetes aside, I mean, most people in on this group were like under the age of forty, he- otherwise healthy, and um, it kind of like helped to put things in perspective, really. Um, so I would say for like April, so definitely like the end of March, April, May, I was very much just like in my apartment by myself, like that. That was life, and then I feel like things once the weather started to change and, and it became um, nicer outside, and people could meet up in the parks and still kind of like socially distance, um, but interact with each other. Um, it took me a few weeks to kind of like get my head around, kind of like doing those things again, um, and 
once I did I mean for me I'm a very like social person I love like hanging out and interacting with people so it was it was a very difficult few weeks to kind of just be alone um and I really appreciated um hanging out even if it was like six feet apart you know yeah um and I mean right now I would say that I'm like cautious but also at the point where I guess a bit like everyone I'm just kind of over it I yeah. just want this to be done now like yeah. I I want it I want normal life um it's like everyone I guess and I think I've kind of also accepted that this is going to be something that we're going to live with for for a long time um it's not going away um and I think in the beginning it, it felt a bit like or we need to stay inside so that this can just like go away yeah. and then we can resume normal life. But I think obviously exactly, yes. If you do as you're told, then all <laughs> will be but I think now we've kind of realized that um it's still just gonna be circulating. I don't think it'll probably ever go away, even with a vaccine. Um and I I think I've just kind of like come to terms with um like I still I'm gonna be very cautious, I'm wearing my mask and advertising like there's no tomorrow but I still want to get out I still want to see people I still want to go to like dinners and things for as long as I'm told that it's okay to do so um yeah. you know if if the rules change and, and they're still not okay everyone back in your houses like you know going outside then of course I'll kind of like follow through with that mm-hmm. um but I think I, and I, I see like a lot of different opinions and obviously people have different worries and have different context and um, I'm lucky that I, I guess in a sense I do live alone so it's only me here that I have to worry about I think I would feel very differently if I was in Durham living with my parents right now um, but I just have me to look after so I'm, I'm okay like following the advice following the rules but still trying to have some sort of a normal life and, and some kind of like human interaction yeah yeah no I totally understand and I think it's I think for everyone at the minute it's the sort of the, the fact that you can't plan and I guess for you as well yeah. you know um with not knowing whether you can come back at Christmas or whether when that point's mm-hmm. going to be um it's obviously the same for everyone for, for various different things and and when we're going to get back to some sort of um normal life but I will ask two more questions and then I will Mm -hmm. let you go so second last um I want to know the one place your favorite place that you've visited so far and then following that the three the three places that are top of the to-do list all right um it's such you know it's such a hard question to answer (laughs) because um I'm gonna be so cliche but say that like a lot of my trips um are kind of I base in when I think back of them in my in memory a lot of the time it's really like who I was with and and what I was doing um when I was in that particular place that kind of like makes it for me um but one of my all-time favorite places that I've ever been to um which I, I could talk about for hours but it was just I was very shocked and surprised at how much I loved it was Israel and it's somewhere I, that was never on my radar. I had never 
planned um on visiting or going at all um it was never one of those like you know like bucket list places for me um but my best friend um she is israeli and she had been saying to me for years and years like you would love it you should come um we can like i'll show you around like we can we can visit all these places and i think one year i was just like okay let, like let's just do it let's just go and um i got my um easy jet flight from manchester it was like so cheap i think it was like a 150 pound return um and i went to tel aviv and i absolutely loved it um and for me it had a mix of everything that i look for when i'm like kind of like traveling it had amazing food really really good food um it had gorgeous beaches the weather was like an ideal temperature for me like kind of like 25 26 degrees i can't really go much more than that and this was like in october as well um and they had the nightlife was really really fun um and then the history i just love how much yeah, history cool. there is there and and all the stories and background and context um and it really was just like a magical trip and i was there with my best friend and it was just a great experience to have together um but i loved it so much and i think people were always really a bit cautious when i said that i was like going there um because i think from like from the uk it's it's never really um talked about very much and um when i came back i just like was showing everyone these pictures and and raved about it so much um that the following year my brother and his girlfriend went um off the back of my recommendation and they loved it as well and then i even got my mum and dad to no go a couple of years ago um and i would say that they're definitely like you know like more traditional yeah. travelers i love the mediterranean and you know spain and portugal and greece and they went on a cruise and um so they they stopped at uh tel aviv and they even one up to me and went to jordan as well which oh. i was was kind of like on my list um and they so they loved it and i i think for me like that's why it makes such a good trip because i had the most amazing time but then also i was able to come back and kind of like convince yeah. other people to go well i um, i feel convinced i have to yeah. say it has, it, it has never really badly probably but it has never been yeah. on my radar ever no sort of real take really taken aback when you said it i wasn't expecting it yeah all. so yeah that's why i kind of say it because honestly um of all the places i've been um i just have like the best and fondest memories of, of my time there and i would highly highly recommend it Brilliant. and your three top places that are still on the to-do list still on the to-do list okay i would say um at the moment i mean it kind of like changes to be honest um but i would say definitely at the moment i really want to go to hawaii Okay. Um, I just see like pictures from there and I think like, I've never really done like anything like that like kind of like islandy mm -hmm. um, so definitely Hawaii is like at the top of the list um, Japan as well I okay. think that would be like such a like a different like kind of like a bit of a culture shock yeah. Um, and yeah really really intrigued to go there um, and then third um Oh, actually, now that I'm here in Canada and I'm like speaking to different people and hearing um, like people going to like different places like nearby, I guess, Alaska is on my list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel so, like when I'm here, I, I should <laughs> at some point go. I think out of those, if I 
had to reverse it. I think mine, I think both Japan and Alaska would be on it for me, but yeah, um, I think, yeah, they would be pretty amazing places. So fingers crossed that, as I yeah. said, once, once the world calms down, um, yeah. you, we will be seeing both Japan and Alaska on Type 1 Travels. Yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed. Well, Kim, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. I do really appreciate it. And oh, well, thank you for having me. Not a problem at all. I hope everything runs smoothly in Vancouver and fingers crossed either your parents can get across or you can get back to the lovely UK very soon. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It's been no great. Um, and yes, yeah, stay tuned. Yes, take care, Kim. Bye.